Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And this is The Positive Mind. Where we bring you some ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. And how do you react to snow? <laughs> we are here in the Northeast, New York City. Had about a foot of snow, but not just a foot of snow. We had this cold, too. You know, it's not just a come-and-go snowstorm, Nasima. It snowed, and it's staying. It's nice. I it, like it. You know? And it made me think of, like, the difference between being young and old. When you start looking, you know, when it snows outside and you look out and you dread it, you know you're you're a grown-up. Or not. I wasn't. I wasn't dreading it at all. But... You know, I think a lot of people do get that way. You know, they don't... You hear it. You hear it from older people. Like, oh, I'll be happy when it goes away. Well, it becomes more dangerous, that's for sure. You know, walking in it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I understand. And inconvenient. So, but it made me think about this contrast between being younger and older. And we have been talking about resilience for four shows now. We're going to do it again today. And resilience being this capacity to bounce back when you meet adversity and hard times and difficulties. And a snowstorm can be one of those, Nasima, right? Like, how, how full was your tank to receive the snowstorm, to feel the, the need to go out and shovel it and take care of it and, or whatever, whatever's involved, getting all your chores done before the storm? How full was your tank? To handle this, how was yours? It was pretty good. I was ready. Yeah, I was ready surprisingly, happily. I'm wondering if the shows have had that effect on us. I'm glad it was on a weekend. I think everybody was. Yeah. It makes it easier. I think you're right. I think we'll have it straight here in New York by tomorrow morning. The roads are okay today, actually, but I'm sure they'll be better. But... It made me think also, Nassim, about what we talked about last week, stress and strain. Did the snowstorm stress you out? <laughs> or were you strained out by the snowstorm? Because we talked about stress as an external pressure and strain as an internal pressure. This is what we do when we are dealing with stress is what... Is strain, and I think when we talk about stress and strain, we're really asking people, "How strained are you in your life?" One way to look at it is like, "How is the way I am a strain in relationships?" Right? Can you imagine that? Yeah, maybe I'm participating and contributing to the strain in my relationships. And you, you might start by asking, what is it? What are the things, what, what traits, what habits? You know, do you leave the toothpaste cap off? Or, but deeper than that, what traits of mine might make a strain in the relationship? And this relates to resilience, and we'll tell you how in a few moments. What is it about you that makes it difficult for you to have relationships? Or difficult to even be in relationship. And I'm sure maybe some folks who have been in relationship to you maybe said this to you. Right. 
Or, or you have some people in your life who are particularly difficult to be in relationship with. Yes, could yeah. be the other way too. Like, like we want to talk about both sides right. of the relationship, right. but yeah, there's there there can be some people, or you can be a person with whom it just seems really difficult to be in relationship. Yeah, friendship, partnership. I'm wondering, like, for, I think for most people, like, how am I unworthy? Of being in a relationship or being related to what makes me unworthy of relationship. Um, even people that are married for a long time, they might still have this sense privately of being not known <laughs> by my partner, one, right. but two, this hidden shame of being unworthy of relationship. Of course, if you think you're unworthy, then how, how could your resilience level be high? Right, because if I feel like I'm unworthy, I'm going to be working really hard to cover that up right. and look like I'm the best. Yeah, which brings us to our topic today, which is the good child syndrome. <laughs> the biggest threat in all the research we've done on resilience, the biggest threat to resilience and having resilience is having to be a certain way, is rigidity. We said that in the first show. The opposite of resilience is rigidity. And just think of it. If if an object is rigid, it's not really, you know, it'll break into bits and pieces. But if an object is flexible, it will bend and come back. Um, and similarly with our personalities. And yet in the, all the research we've done, there's this syndrome of being too good. Of being too good a person, which is pretty much how we're all trained to be, you know, in our from childhood. That we are trained to be good. We strive to be good. Yeah. It's it's so rewarded in so many ways. And doing this research, I think both Kevin and I go through our process doing this research of like, how does this apply to me? And I really felt this one. This one was a, was a curious yeah. one to feel yeah. into. Well, we're um, therapists, you know, so we're... We're constantly working on ourselves, trying to find the ways that we're at fault, that we can become better helpers. And we wouldn't be in this profession without something going on in our childhoods where we maybe felt unworthy. Right. Uh, you know, okay, this could be the starting point of all therapists at one point felt unworthy in some way in their upbringing. And they covered it over maybe by being too good. I know that I was really too good as a kid because it was dangerous not to be. And the problem is you get to be an adult and you're a goody two-shoes. People look at you and they say, oh, I don't know, for some strange reason, I, I, I don't like being around that person. Or if they do, you know, for too long, it's hard to establish a relationship with somebody who is too good. Now, we're broadly generalizing, and we're just telling our audience, sharing this with them, that there is a rigidity to being too good. And I think we can all, making it into adult life, you know, you have to be good in order to make it and be responsible every week and pay your taxes and get your uh, check at the, at the end of the week and do all the things that need to do. And we do need to do this. So goodness is rewarded. Consistency is rewarded. Reliability is rewarded. And it should be because... You know, uh, why? Why yeah. is it a good thing? Because uh, the world functions on this. And if it doesn't happen, uh, people don't show up to work and don't be good, let's say, 
then we have a whole host of other problems besides Mother Nature that will make it hard to be resilient for. We're just trying to first update the audience on what the research is saying. Because one obstacle in your relationships with people could be your personality. The biggest stress in a relationship is your personality. And personality is something that we create as a child to sort of deal with our circumstances, to respond to our world. It's not necessarily who our es- what our essence is, who we are really internally. Of course not. But it's no. what we face the world with. Just to also get a little bit of separation and idea of the landscape here. I mean, we're really talking about who did you become as a result of right. where you were at as a kid. Yeah. I mean, the root of it is persona. So people wonder, like, how can I change my personality? You know, my personality is causing me all these troubles in life. Besides which, resilience. I don't have a lot of resilience that I thought I had. But how do I change this persona? And we say, with some practice, with some work. But, you know, it's amazing. You can look at other people and see how have they changed in their life. And you you see it all the time. People are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. If you're too good, maybe you can change that as well. It's, It's difficult. Like if you look at like the oldest child in a family. Right? There are certain traits, certain habits, certain expectations. And if you're the second born in a family, the third born in a family, there are certain traits. Anybody can look this up and see them. So let's say you're the oldest and you're taught, well, goodness gets rewarded. I get my mom and dad's attention. It makes sense for me to be good and to instruct the younger ones on how to get there. Because if the younger ones, I'm not keeping them in order, I'm not going to get the praise you know, and the love and the rewards from mom and dad that I used to get. So I have to keep an eye on the younger ones as well. Fine. To your point, right? You develop this when you're young, all forgivable. Are you still hanging on to it? And is it helping? And the, the resilience research says that if you're hanging on to a personality that doesn't work, you're barely resilient. You're not flexible. And this is it accented in the book, The Survivor Personality by Al Siebert. The Survivor Personality. You don't want to put a person like this in charge because they're not flexible. Anyway, this is this is our topic for today. We thought we'd zero in on personality and how it affects your resilience. And especially the personality of the good child. It's just everywhere. And I and I also feel like to look at this as a, an, on a spectrum, too. And when right. I was reading the literature, it's like, again, I'm like, I don't feel like I'm that rigid. But there are times when I am. There are point, parts of my life where I do feel that rigid tension come up about, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. It can't be any other way. Right. Or I can't be any other way yeah. in this. And that's an important thing to sort of notice and see your pattern and see how you... Where you have inflexible things in your value system, in your sense of who you are and how the world is supposed to respond to you. The first step I would say for our audience is to write down three ways that I'm too good right now in my life. <laughs> I know it's an oxymoron, but, you know, you know, three ways. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm too good at it. I'm too obedient or I'm too polite. I'm too reliable. 
You know, reliability is valued by people, but if it's not benefiting you, maybe reliability isn't the best thing for you in the world. And that's one thing we'll talk about later in the show is they are advising, like in this resilience research, to embrace the opposite, the paradox. So if you're a reliable person, yeah, people say I'm a reliable person, maybe too reliable. Am I too good? And so we're asking the audience... Yeah, because, you know, this is the positive mind. We, we don't want to have any illusions about, you know, the dark side of being human. We're f- fully acknowledge it. But even the good side of being human can be a mask, cannot be really helpful. And, and I think it's kind of one or two dimensional. It doesn't have a whole lot of depth to it, this kind of personality stuckness. And it makes me also think of like somebody who feels too reliable or too responsible might be close to being kind of workaholic or, or the Uber caregiver. There's something so rigid about that experience. So just ways to sort of tease out like, where am I, where am I feeling too good? Right. Too much inflexible. Yeah. And as therapists, you know, we, look for this in our clients because ultimately they're not being fair to themselves. And so to the point where they're having symptoms or they're broken down or they need someone to talk to all because ultimately we think, you know, we assess, we look, they were trained to be too good. They didn't hear their own voice when they were young. They were Mm -hmm. crowded out by the nose around them. And so they come to therapy, and this is sometimes all it boils down to, is like helping such a person incorporate. You don't have to be so reliable. You don't have to be so dutiful or obedient or good. Nobody's watching. They think people are watching. Somebody's watching. And so, of course, this is a barrier to resilience. Hardship comes. They're just not able to respond and as therapists, you know, we try to keep in mind what's happening in this person's world. How can we protect them from danger? How do we protect them from crisis? And and seeing the potential crises that our clients could face and keeping that in mind as we work with them. And helping them sort of build an okayness with even talking about maybe not showing up to work one day because you were... You just needed a break. Yes. You know, just even talking and imagining the possibility of that can sometimes be overwhelming to someone who really has structured a certain security of self around, I'm always going to show up. No matter what, I will show up no matter how So how how are you too good in your life right now? (laughs) Can you pick like some ways that you're too good? I have a hard time expressing my opinions. That is a way that I feel like I really kind of suppress myself and suppress what people, you know, like a differing opinion. Yeah. It's it's hard for me to come out with what I think. And I'm wondering, like, if you did express your opinion, are you afraid that it would come out negatively? Um, that's why you suppress it. So you don't want to look like a bad girl. I'm afraid that people will, they'll argue it. And I don't like arguments. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. I loved philosophy, but I hated having to write the argument, (laughs) you know? I I just couldn't do the argument. I I guess I look, as a therapist, you know, I'm always looking for what's wrong. 
you know, and protecting people against what's wrong, you know, or allowing what's wrong or whatever they're saying is wrong and protecting them from harsh judgment of themselves. So when I'm out in public, when I'm with many people, I'm I'm too corrective when people are, are being insulting or potentially insulting. I'm not politically correct, mind you. I don't, I'm not saying that, but it's more about a tenderness, about being too tender, maybe. I'm too tender. And yeah, maybe that's too good. I pick up, I soak up the negativity when it's coming, and I do everything I can to sort of soften it or prevent it or something. And anyway, it's too good. And I don't know, I guess the follow-up question to both of us would be, how does it make it difficult to be in a relationship with you? Or does it? you know, our whole audience can do this with themselves. What is so good about me that interferes with my relationship or my relating with people or their relating with me? How does this sort of close me off? I guess in my case, it would be that people don't really get a chance to hear me, what I'm thinking. And I'm I'm kind of afraid for them to hear that because they yeah. may challenge it and that... Okay. And then I feel like I've, I'm doing something wrong. And I can imagine for you that that sensitivity, that tenderness might be covering up a judgmental part of you, some, some sort of judgment you feel inside. Probably. Yeah, I would say probably. Isn't it terrible when we expose our, our two goodness that, that there is something rigid maybe or under, underneath it or negative or something that we're hiding from ourselves? This could be a useful exercise um, to look down. If if people aren't telling you what's so good about you, and you could ask people, like, what is good about me? What do you think? You could ask yourself, what, or, or you could ask your friends, how am I too good? In what areas am I too good? You can ask your spouse, your partner, in what way am I too good? Because my too goodness might be upsetting you, getting on your nerves, bothering you, and maybe... You don't even believe in your two goodness. And we should really help you relax, help me relax, have an easier relationship. Also, if you don't have someone to ask, think just to yourself what causes me some sort of tension. Some sort of, like for me, when I'm in conversation where there's a lot of opinions and I don't express my opinion when I go home at night, I have all these opinions that I'm suddenly thinking through my head. Yes. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. Like, oh, but this is what, you know, you might feel a little frozen in the conversation. Right. I felt that too. Like, I know I feel something about this, but I just don't know what. And it's like something I've lost touch with in myself the the ability to step into that and and again i feel like what i lose in that is that the people i'm talking with or the people who know me don't really get to know me right. i'm really shy about it in some level so here's the main question you can ask me as well nasima but my main question to you is how was your opinion not valued when you were young So you're having trouble in your life expressing your opinion, (laughs) showing your opinion, and you're suppressing your opinion, and and this is a good quality, or this is what you said was a good quality. And, okay, we fleshed that out. Now, how was your opinion not valued or accepted or heard when you were young? Yeah. I mean, I was the youngest of four, and I was younger by many years, and I think for as a young kid, I I really couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I always felt a little, 
I don't know, bullied about it. And I, I, that's a harsh word, but it, you know how kids will be very, you know, oh, she's just a little kid. She doesn't, you know, she right. doesn't know what she means. Right. We don't want to hear what you have to say anyway. Just do what we say we want you to do. Yeah. And I'm talking about my siblings. I they hit- weren't terrible, but they were older. Yes. And kids can be mean. So you were the last happened. born. I was the last and born. And it's often the, the, a thing with the last born that they their voice is constricted, you know, physically. But yeah. they, you know, they they're not often a personality types, right? They're not extroverts so much of the time. You know, they've learned to keep their own counsel and be private. Yeah, and I wanted to be part, you know, I wanted to be part of the group, so I'd do anything I possibly could. Being opinionated is not a way to be part of the group. What do you think your your internal sort of intensity got subsumed yeah well (laughs) well, if it's an emphasis on my tenderness which i said is maybe i'm or too protective of people you know and too guardian of people being negative which is what the quality i said is my too goodness you know i grew up in a huge family with 15 kids (laughs) so i was like the 11th child you know so I must have thought, like, I don't want to be as negative as these people (laughs) or this environment. I want to be positive or proactive or whatever. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm thinking, if I make that connection, that my mission, and it seems like a mission, this positive to goodness of mine, seems like, okay, I'm always sort of... Protecting. If I'm in a room with two people, you know, one person, it's almost as if I'm protecting a third person who's not in the room. I I could definitely connect it to my experience growing up as a compensation. I think we're touching on so many important things, but I do want to remind the audience that this is about resilience. And resilience is a natural quality to being human, to being animal, to being part of nature is to be resilient. And so it is a natural quality and something that we should be able to rely on and expect of ourselves. It's an issue in psychology because people come into our office and, you know, this happens in your own home where resilience is very low. I, you know, I just, I'm at a crisis. My energy level is gone or I'm, I'm, my mental energy is being spent in so many ways that I don't have vigor and a sense of resilience. And I think this is like one of, if you say top five topics in psychology, that resilience is, is one of the top five. And we want to pay attention to what beats down our resilience and what we can do to raise our resilience. And just questioning, being able to question and take a look at different patterns in your life shows some level of resilience. So I feel like people who do come to talk to someone or are able to have this conversation, they're already exhibiting some resilience. Yes, indeed. Just know that probably there are people in your life who will absolutely not talk about this. They will not change. They will be rigid and they will stay themselves no matter what. And these are the people that you so want to get into therapy or go talk to someone and they absolutely will not. And that just lets you know that they have 
less resilience. Yes, and as a concerned person, you're concerned about because then if their resilience breaks down, then who's going to help them? You're right. going to be the enlisted to pick help pick up the pieces. Possibly. You know, so you're trying to be proactive, and it makes sense. But I did want, for the first half of our show, to highlight the fact that it makes a lot of sense that a person would adopt this good child personality and this good adult personality. It makes sense. The world rewards it in many ways. Parents obviously reward it. The problem is it's rigid and you're not able to feel your own life. You're not able to feel, which if if you're a bad person and you're allowed to be bad, <laughs> quote, unquote, bad. Quote, whatever that means, and we should go into that a little bit, <laughs> right. then you're able to have a spectrum of emotion. You can feel happy one day and you can feel sad another day. You can feel angry or anxious one day and, you know, helpful and delightful the next day if you're bad. But if you always have to be good when you were young, and I see this all the time, right? I cringe, you know, when I'm with a mother and the child or a father or a sibling with a child or whoever it is and they're saying to the child, say thank you, say please, say <laughs> whatever. It's, I cringe because I'm like, it's not in the nature of a three-year-old to say thank you, you know. Or even if it is, they don't need to. I see it in their face. They're delighted. That's good enough. But nope, I want my child to you know, be very thankful for every adult in the world. And I almost want to say, yeah, but you're cutting off their, their own right to respond naturally the way they want to. Some cases, it's, you know, in some areas, I get it. It's, it's important. Yes, you do want to raise your children a certain way. But just be mindful that the tendency of parenting is to to be mindful of when the child is like not fully developed and helping them trying to develop. And how do we do that? We often do it with, with negatives. No, don't sit that way. Don't talk that way. Don't write that way. Don't watch TV that way or whatever it is, you know, that we're instructional as parents and we miss out on making room for the child to respond in the way they want to. It's kind of like we're trying to make a good child by telling them what not to be. Really cutting off a lot of who they are or even knowing who they are on some level. Right. How they feel about things. I think a lot of this is changing. Another thing that really would perturb me with kids is, you know, forcing them to hug someone that maybe they don't want to hug or yes. give a kiss to someone they don't want to give a kiss right. or shake a hand. I've seen some videos, which I really love, where they're, you know, having kids decide how they want to be greeted. Do they want to fist oh, really? bump? Do they want to hug? Do yes. they want to, you know, and I think that's really wonderful because it lets them tune into, okay, I feel like a hug today or I feel like yes, a fist bump I know today. Te teachers are doing that. At schools, isn't it American education? Isn't it great that this this is something possible in certain yes. schools? That a, a teacher, it's up to them and the child. Do you want a hug today? A smile today? A pat on the back today? A high five today? What do you want today? I think it's just terrific. Yeah, and and I and I feel like the these ideas of good child, you know, obedient child are 
definitely starting to fall by the wayside. And they come from an idea that children don't know anything, like they don't know how they feel. Yeah. And I think that's so untrue. They they might not know, they might need some help naming it, but they're having feelings. But for a long time, there was popular idea that children don't feel until they're somehow. 12 yeah <laughs> something like that right very very not true. detrimental and, and it's so useful for parents to delay any sort of reactivity in themselves to watch for the child to have a response so i always think it's, it's critical and we can get we summarize it this for the first half hour for parents to wait for their children to have a response and encourage a response. I always know parents doing it right when their child is um, talkative. Yeah, and I think it allows less of a transactional sort of quality to relating. Like they can actually say and engage with people. And with that, we're going to go to our break I'm Kevin O'Donnell, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And this is The Positive Mind. And we'll be right back. Three things for sure. 
gay. Trouble man. I come up hard, baby, but now I'm cool. I didn't make it, sugar. Playing by the rules. Thanks, Marvin. Thank you. Right? And and it's amazing. We therapists, we think it's amazing to survive childhood. <laughs> it's amazing that we just survived it. Um, and that's why this book, The Survivor Personality by Al Siebert, is emphasizing the native natural resilience. If you look at the lyric, uh, the whole lyric of Marvin Gaye's song, that you'll see all the trouble that he had been through and yet survives. And that's what I think the good child fears. I'm not able to handle trouble if I give up my good traits, my vigilance at being good, then I'll lapse into these bad qualities that will get me into trouble and I won't survive. I really resonate with, you know, I didn't make it playing by the rules. You know, it, that's that's where I came up. I mean, they, it wasn't that rigid in my home, but this idea that you follow the directions, you follow the rules, that everything will be okay if you do it that way. And it's it's been challenging to let go of some of that a little bit because there can be a lot more creativity when you don't follow the rules. Exactly. And surprisingly, exactly. there's so much more richness to life. Yes. When you when you don't follow the strict rules, you know, the the don'ts and the shoulds. When men are told don't cry and when girls are told don't get angry, that those are two big stops of yes. really beautiful yes. energy in a child. Right. It stops you from being seen or known on some level. Yes. And it's one of my pet, you know, things that I like to help with with my clients to help them move that energy and to feel more able to be with it. Yes, I love that, Nasima. That's a perfect point, you know, because so many men come to therapy and they can't cry. And what is, and when did this prohibition begin? And tears are natural. Tears are, you know, totally, totally natural. And for a man to live his adult life saying, I've gone 40 years without crying, as if that's a, a badge of honor, you know, I thinking of our fathers of not crying our whole life and thinking, wow, I had a strong dad. How sad. And uh, and a young girl not being allowed to be angry because she's seen as being hysterical or not ladylike or, you know, those kinds of things. And and for when women yes. come to me and they don't have any any capacity to express their anger in a way that is helpful to them. You know, expressing a boundary, being yes. able to say no. You know, we have a, a show, a whole show about the art of saying no. That saying no is a very strong support of an anger energy that says, no, stop, enough. It's kind of paradoxical that we're saying, say no to my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or my good persona. This is what we're saying. Say goodbye or No. To my good persona. Because what's underneath saying no is a feeling. I'm allowing myself to have a feeling. The people that have to be good all the time. And this carries on right through adulthood, right? We all know some people that, you know, too good. They don't have feelings. They're not allowed to have feelings. They don't express feelings. And they don't want to hear your feelings. So they can't be very resilient, how can they be resilient if they're not 
a system, a personality, a person that's enabling to have the full spectrum of what it's like to be human, which would be feeling. So they're low on the resilience scale. And in relationship with someone like this, they won't allow you to have those feelings either. Like, I think they really work to stop those feelings happening and have a hard time with people having feelings about them or about any kind of situation. It's a real, they'll squish the feelings in the room. And I know that I've had to learn to get a little more comfortable with the quote unquote negative bad feelings out there like anger and sadness and frustration and pain. So let's help the audience with this because we want to give some tools here. I think you talking about the boys and the and the girls not allowing for boys to cry and for girls to have anger is pretty much a summary of what we're trying to give pe- people a picture of. This is still going on, right? How do we how do we make this clear? Uh and I'm thinking as a boy in your family, what were the major prohibitions? As a girl in your family, what were you most severely shamed for? What was the biggest shame in your family, in your family system? And we can extend this out. I see this as so important. You know, in the 80s, John Bradshaw was very popular in writing about healing the shame that binds you and all sorts of books on shame. And when you get down to it, it's shame that produces this good personality, this good child structure. How do we get underneath that? How do we fix that? And we ask, what was the biggest shame for you as a child? And and maybe you could even extend this to your ethnic background. Like, what does the world say about your ethnic background, et cetera? Uh, that you could be compensating for with your goodness and which is an obstacle to your resilience. This is the point that we're making. How do you sort of undo that, undo the shame you were born into because ultimately you adopt it because you see this is the only thing that, this is what we're all not saying that we're avoiding, not talking about. You, the child, has taken on this obligation, this duty to put a shine on my sh- on the family shame, let's say. It can also be narrowed down to the family shame. Was there an illness or an addiction or something that was... A suicide. In your family. Yeah, suicide. Any of those things. A dysfunctional parent. Right. That you had to compensate for and make... The family look like everything's okay. Everything's just fine. Don't look here. Don't look under the rug. Yeah. Wow. That just internalizes so much shame. And children will do their best to maintain that because that's part of surviving, right? I, I'm going to mean, I'm going to buy into that shame. I'm going to maintain it so that I'm part of yes, the family it's unit. Like a, it's like um, a hypnosis. Right. That the family is requiring you to have along with them right. so that you don't draw attention to us as a family, as a group, um, because or, of the shame. Or draw attention to the one member of the family who might be most troubled. 
or having yes, the hardest time. Exactly. It is a very classic family dynamic, kind of circling the wagons and, you know, mm-hmm. being super protective. And let's face it, this is more the norm for family life than than the exception. Most families have some shame that they're compensating for, you know? And, you know, it's okay. But it's more normal to have something that you're trying to hide or compensate for from your upbringing than for you not to be, you know? So, which is why addictions and all sorts of pathologies run rampant. And they're traumas that are more normal than being not traumatized by your upbringing. So we want to draw attention to this in terms of resilience because it might be a way to let yourself off the hook. If I don't have resilience, my my resilience tank is low, that there's a reason for that because resilience is native and natural to being human. I mean, just notice how you feel after a good night's sleep, you know, um, that you can actually feel like a different person after a good night's sleep. So... Resilience is natural, but if yours is low, we're saying, well, that might be understandable. And looking at the shame and my compensating behaviors and maybe me being too good and the absence of easy relating relationships in my life might be the, you know, an expression of that, that maybe there's something I can do. So what are some things we can do? Uh, I think as for an exercise, it might be, useful to just like write out the ways that I'm too good. You know, if you write out like five ways, you know, like, am I too neat? Like do people like, are people amazed at how neat I am, you know, or am I too conscientious or am I too rigid? Am I too perfectionistic? Am I too sensitive? Am I too tough? Tough. Am I too rough? Am I too pragmatic? Etc. So anybody can make a list. Am I too selfish? Am I too self-critical? That's a good one. I think a lot of people come in really self-critical. Yeah. To make a list and then what would it feel like? Let's start with that. What would it feel like to not be perfectionistic? To not be thorough? Like what would it hurt almost to not do? This is an early step. This would be an early process part of the process yeah kind that of. you actually have to live into it like what would it be like if i weren't so you know if i were selfish everywhere in in all that i do i only cared about me i think this goes back to my example from earlier what would it mean for me to take my paid time off like i'm i'm yeah. sure so many people live right. so many days of pto right untaken Yes. What would it mean for me to take a day off once every couple of weeks just to take a day off? What's the avoidance? You know, every year we do on the 4th of July, our 4th of July show is, you know, what am I doing in my life that I am not? Make a list. What am I doing? What if I were to do nothing? What if I were to spend a day doing nothing? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You know, so people would become very anxious. Like if I'm, if I took that day off, Nasima, people might say, "Well, I wouldn't know what to do with myself, or I might have to look at my life and see I'm not happy with certain things in my life, etc." These kinds of things. 
So after you make this list of what you're too much of, yeah. what do you do next? Picture. You know, so many times people can't even see that they're doing things a certain way and not even knowing why they're doing things a certain way. So when we make this list to actually stop and imagine and look at myself not doing or in the case of badness, doing the certain th- good things, you know, so you can play with it both ways. But I think the first step is to imagine me being selfish, see myself being selfish, noticing the areas and places in my life where I can be selfish, which, you know, is there really such a thing, selfish? Right. It's just a judgment on yourself. Who is it that you owe your unselfishness to? Who? Who do you owe it to? As a father, as a a dad or something, you have obligations to do certain... But, you know, beyond those responsibilities and concerns, what else? You know, am I 100% selfless because I'm a dad now or a mom? I'm not allowed to be selfish no. So the, I think the first step is to picture yourself and what would it be like to walk yourself through being the bad thing that you're avoiding. Right. For for me, it would be to picture being opinionated. And sharing your opinions. And sharing my opinions. And not worrying about what other people thought of my opinions. Picture that as well. Not just – so picture the fallout, the consequences. Because in in his book, The Survivor Personality – Al Sieber talks about the good child, and the good child is not allowed to see cause and effect. You know, you're so rigid being taught to be a certain good child that you don't see one thing leads to the next thing. So you don't see cause and effect. So as an adult, okay, I see that I'm still carrying on, hanging on to this good, too good child syndrome, I not only have to see the opposite behavior, but I also have to see how I am in my life with that opposite behavior. So you being opinionated and then all the fallout from being what that you imagine is the fallout. This is very important. What's interesting is that I may imagine the fallout being that somebody would ridicule me or tell me I'm, you know, wrong and I think what really happens, and as I've sort of learned, as I've let myself start to express my opinion, that actually people feel more connected to me. See that as well. So first see the the fear that people would stop liking you and go beyond that and see that's actually not going to happen. That wouldn't happen. You know, so and pick all of the ways that you're too good and see how this is going to affect you and your relations with other people. So really, to sum it up, it's like the good child is suppressing all of these potential paradoxical traits. So I'm suppressing my opinions. The person who's too sensitive might be suppressing a toughness. Someone who's... Or an insensitivity. You know, I don't... You know, I'm sensitive, but what if I were... To walk around being insensitive. Mm -hmm. How would life feel (laughs) where I'm not 
you know, so alert to everything and taking in everything. I'm just like keeping my own counsel. Right. And not, not reacting or being, you know. Having maybe a good boundary yeah. <laughs> of yeah. sorts. Yeah. So or the opposite of being thorough, you know. So maybe I don't have to. I can make the bed a little, a little more sloppy, you know, one day. Or I don't know, you know. Sometimes it comes out, you know, like when we do our newsletter and I've messed up a, a comma, a, a comma or a <laughs> spelling. Yes. And there's a certain part of me that gets mortified. But I'm like, you know what? I think people will still read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Generally the case. So back to resilience, because, you know, if you're selfish, somebody's, well, you know, Nobody's calling a good child selfish. They're saying, oh, you're so unselfish. You're so generous. You're so hardworking. You know, you're so serious. What's the opposite of serious? Playful. Yeah. Do you know too, You know people that are too serious? Are you too serious? Is somebody too playful? You don't hear that criticism. And you don't hear a parent saying, you're too playful. <laughs> You know, when I get stressed out or strained or I feel this dynamic come up in me, I get very serious. And it's hard to move into that playful place. Okay. And whew, when you don't, when you're rigid, you're not creative. And so when you're choosing to do the opposite of your, you know, rigidity, you're being creative. Yes. That's a, that's a creative experiment. Right. And even stopping, Nasima, stopping and picturing myself doing the opposite or being the opposite way is a creative act and is making room for real creativity and real change to happen. You know, so you don't have to be some famous artist or anything to be a creative person. People are being creative, making work tolerable every day. So you can do this with your own personality. How am I too good in life? What would people say I'm too good doing? You know, and that's getting in the way of my, you know, them being comfortable with me. And so we should end the show by, by talking about how to deal with people that are too good. You know, that they're not ready yet to learn these lessons and yet they're in our environment you know is is somebody in your office too good you know too goody two shoes or how do you deal with them you know what to expect from them and you know what you can and can't do with them how am i supposed to because we've again in this book the survivor personality he, he talks about how these two good people are drain they're de-synergistic he uses that word, desynergistic. You can't get into synergy with them. You know, it's they're too good to actually have any synergy with. How do you handle them? Well, the first thing he recommends is you play along with them. If they want to be that good, you know, you recognize, okay, they're, they're who they are and, and words are not going to work, you know, because he talks about this as, a, as like an alcoholic. They're they're like words aren't going to work. They, they, these people don't know cause and effect A and B. They're not going to see a connection between their drinking and their disorganized life, or you know. So too good a person, this good child syndrome, 
they're not going to see their good childness. So you can play along with them. Pretend that, okay, yeah, you're, you're very, you're too good. And you're, you're always right. <laughs> and so pretend. And then another thing is to always say, well, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. I feel this way about that. And if that isn't, if what they're saying is in contradiction to what you're saying or what you're feeling, you say, no, you've got that wrong. That's not accurate. To stand up, to have the boundary. I don't have to change this person, even though I would like to, but I will at least stand up and speak my own truth that, no, that's not accurate. You have that backwards. You're not listening or whatever. But don't instruct because similarly, like you wouldn't instruct an alcoholic um, or a gambler or somebody who's, you know, out of control, instruct them. The words aren't going to matter. Mm Mm-hmm. The only thing that's going to matter is for them to see a consequence of how they are. So if you have the good child syndrome, you go, oh, I see that you can't be playful. Oh, I see that you can't relax. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to see that and hear that. Or for the alcoholic. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, your family has abandoned you. I, um, that must really hurt. I'm sorry for you but you don't try to say no you need to stop drinking you need to go to work you need to do this you need to do no you you show them cause and effect and also to not let yourself become a victim of them because they tend to go into a victim dynamic so just to watch that and to not let it get under your skin so much to hold a really strong boundary yes yes it's important and to be compassionate Hold compassion for them. You hold it as we do with, with all those who are not behaving in the best way for their own growth and self-interest. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think we'll stop today. You've been listening to The Positive Mind. We've been working and talking about resilience, which we've said is one of these top three topics in, in mental health. And we're glad you joined us. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. We would like to thank our affiliates for airing us uh, weekly, WBTV, WFMP, WRWK, KCSB, KPEJ, KYGT, The Detour. Thank you for your continued support. Also, we'd like to thank our producer, Connie Shannon, our chief engineer, Jeff Brady. You can contact us at tffpp.org with questions, comments, or suggestions for the show. You can also find our podcast on most podcast platforms, The Positive Mind. See you next week, folks. Bye-bye.